not come. Do not come. I'm gonna come. Okay, so you want to do a, an intro, like introducing the thing? Yeah, we're back. It's uh, Two Reluctant Cogs. Uh, it's November 17th, 2021. Um, I looked at the uh, site and th- a clean 13 months since the last since the last episode. Um, so I'm Trevor, and up in Maine... Uh, Hello, this is Cy, checking in from the uh, coast of Maine. Hell yeah. Yeah, back and better than ever. We're both in the country. Yeah. Um, Who is responsible for the 13-month gap? I assume it's not. Uh, Donald Trump. It was Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. We yeah, were honestly, um, good, we were pretty shaken up by the um, January 6th uh, insurrection. And so we've just, it's taken a lot of, a lot of time, a lot of, a lot of, to, yeah, to unpack that, that event. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking about that and all sorts of other uh, political hot takes. <laughs> <laughs> That's sarcasm. Sarcasm for the audience out there. Um, okay, Trevor, do you want to set up what we're talking yeah, about today? Yeah, so Sai sent over this, this dope article uh, called The Authentic Reactionary by Nicolas Gomez Davila. Um, Davila uh written in when is this nine i i think it was published in 95 published in 95 this is like the last but he didn't let's yeah see. yeah anyway guy who was uh a colombian uh literary figure from uh you know lived from 1913 to 1994 um sounds like a guy right after uh sounds like sai honestly like a colombian version of sai in the 20th century just watching the wave after wave of political turmoil in the world and Colombia <laughs> specifically, and just like, man, I'm just gonna fuck off to the woods and uh, and write um, with disdain for uh, for the world. But you know, so we'll get into that. Um, I think you know, obviously, the the, the far more important um, thing that happened recently is the release of Dune, the movie. Yes, yes, yeah. That is that is the epoch shaping. <laughs> yeah. How many times have you seen it? I've seen it three times now. Once, once in normal theater, once in IMAX, and then I watched it on HBO Max one one day as well. Yeah, we caught it on HBO Max, so. and it is not like we got the projector and we got a pretty good speaker um, set up. Not. Oh, dude, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. See no, it didn't see it in theaters. Um, and that is like the the one issue with that not issue, but that's like the it's Hans Zimmer, right? On the music, on the score, yeah. Uh-huh. And just like yeah. with Interstellar or like any Hans Zimmer movie, you gotta see it in theaters because the sound is just absolutely oppressive at times. And when you're in a theater, it works. When you're in your living room, you just like you find yourself just constantly turning the volume up and down because the music explodes through your house and the dialogue is then silent yeah. so you're just like you have to have a your hand on the remote the whole time which was which was a bit of a, a drag but i'm 
We probably have to go see it in theaters. It's still out, right? We could probably do it. Yeah, you miss it in IMAX, but it's. I'm sure it's still out in normal theaters. Yeah, I think the I think the the music and you know the shots. Obviously, I'm not sure if you've seen and any of this guy's the director's no. stuff. It's Denis. I don't know, maybe Denis Villeneuve, Villeneuve is the way to say it. But he did uh, he did the Blade Runner oh, okay. movie, Blade Runner 2049, oh, which, have yeah, you seen dude, that I one? I fell asleep in the theater with, uh, yeah. I think I was with, I think I saw it with Alan and his friend. And <laughs> the pacing was too dude, slow. Well, yeah, and also New York was just rough on me. And I was just like, I ripped, ripped a joint yeah. before and... After a long day of work with Alan and his friend, and we all sat settled into like those big plush like New York City AMC seats where <laughs> yeah. you can like recline, and it was just it was a wrap. It was like forty minutes in, and it was like I didn't even I didn't even know what was happening. I just woke up and it was credits, and Alan and his friend were looking at me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I told I get a lot of those yeah, like uh, you know I just but anyway so he does these he does these big, big so you haven't seen it you haven't seen Blade Runner no well I remember a lot of things. like that like <laughs> like sound and, and yeah, like totally. the wah. shots over the and, desert and big sweep yeah big sweeping like paint yeah awesome cinematography so again with so again that that shows up both the sound and the cinematography sh- shows up I think really well. And the set design is kind of wild, and costume design is very wild in in Dune, which I, I really like. It's think. great. Not wild, but, like, just very, like, detailed and fully fleshed out, which I, I you know, just, like, it's... Well, of course, we're both book readers. I think that's the, the key thing, is, like, we are both huge fans of the book, so seeing it come to life in this way is is obviously, like, ultimately satisfying oh yeah yeah no um, they did it they did it really well so, so, i just was shocked at how well it, yeah. was, it was done yeah i uh i i spent i i watched it without reading any reviews any commentary or any any feedback i'm like i'm watching it on its own terms and came out being like oh my god they did a really yeah. good job and then i've sensed that I, i've i've read all the commentary and it's you know generally positive but you know, of course, everybody has a little nitpick just because that's the way it goes. Um, but I, I, you know, I was just impressed with how well they they constructed, how uh, coherent it was, given that how little amount of time they had and how incoherent a novel it is. Yeah, and you know, it's what's interesting because you brought up Blade Runner. So I read um, "Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep." I think you read it, right? Okay, or no. Oh, you no, haven't? haven't? Okay. Um, so this is, I mean, that's, I guess, the, the first Blade Runner um, movie, which I haven't seen. Um, but the the book for that is like, you know, it's Philip K. Dick, short story, um, actually written same time as Dune, same era, I guess a little later, maybe like 10, 20 years later. Um, and Philip K. Dick has like this amphetamine energy in his writing. And so it's like really terse. Uh, and like kind of hurried pace through the story and also like that you know sort of anxiety and like deep intro like neurotic introspection um, like brings this like real crazy psychological energy to his to his writing and you know I think that's like I don't know how successful Blade Runner was at capturing that but I think you you kind of like that's the whole point right it's like am I a robot am I a man whatever um, but it's really like individual focused and 
Which sounds like Duke. I think it's right? contrast actually, because I think in Philip, like the I think like oh. the Philip K. Dick style is like, you know, there is a world that the guy is like, or the the character generally like one or two characters are like moving through with some like light descriptions, but I think like in Dune, I think Dune also has like some of that in that like rushed feel. It's kind of like loose and sloppier writing, um, but it's like Dune is like a psychedelic inspired sci-fi like yeah. space opera totally. and so there's this massive complex universe with all these different like cultures and societies and like political histories and everything that you just you feel it when you're reading it there's like this deep richness to the world and then there's characters doing their like individual machinations and everything and so i thought like two different way different types of like texts to adopt into like big budget sci-fi movie um and I thought Dune, like, did a really good job. I think it's, like, with Blade Runner, you almost have, like, a lot more freedom to be creative because it's so, like, as long as you get the psychological shit, like, you can go wild with the world. Whereas in, like, Dune, I think it's, like, kind of more challenging because there is all this complexity, this, like, real, like, huge world that he already built in the book that you got to deal with somehow as a showrunner. And you don't want to piss off all the fans of the yeah. book. And I thought they did it really well. I thought they like they captured what they needed to. They got the subtle shit. They did like the voice. They did like the Sardaukar army really well. Yeah, and, and, they, and they did it really well, like without like doing awful it with, like, expository, expository dialogue. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's like they did it pretty well with just like kind of evoking the the complexity and depth of the of the kind of the universe that Dune Dune resides in. Yeah. And yeah. you know what's in- interesting? Because I've, I've just been ripping through uh, the Dune books since <laughs> since I saw it. Because I, like, I read them all when I was in grad school. Like all the original Her- Frank Herbert ones. His son wrote a bunch too, which I was like, I can't, I can't do that. I can't, can't <laughs> stick with the dad. Um, but like, so there's like f- six, I think six books. Um, I'm, I just finished the fourth one last night. Um, but the first one is like, you know, huge, like, political Game of Thronesy like space opera and then it just kind of evolves into this very different like type of series each one is a different kind of style and there's like deeper themes and it starts to really examine the long long uh you know trends in societies and histories and civilizations and like how civilizations age and how politics age and how you know governance um, should exist on like exceedingly long timescales and like competing views around like leadership or authority or power or freedom. Um, from a, yeah, well, I got that's for me, that sounds, I mean, I think it's, I think that's what I always love about like this sort of like sci fi is like the implications for like here we are x thousand years in the future and humans still exist and but they've evolved, evolved well beyond anything recognizable as far as like government systems and you know society societal systems that we have today into new forms which you know hilariously like we always used to joke joke about astro astro yeah no it's the only it's the only society that's literally what dune is though you know (laughs) yeah no it's total astro feudalism it's like this is like yeah i I identify as an astro feudalist um but that's uh you know just like the implication there's like interesting ways to think about like oh like humans inevitably will certain will find themselves and organize themselves into various systems because you have to have organization and people cook up different ways to do that and uh if you like let the time scales play out long enough where do people find themselves i think those are really interesting questions that, that i 
I have not gotten past the first book, but it sounds like I yeah, did. it depends. And it gets it gets kind of crazy, but like yeah, the uh, you know what's interesting in that long time scale um, is like yeah, if you have you know think about a society where it's you know spread you know really tightly controlled, spread across a bunch of planets or solar systems or whatever, depending on your your technology or whatever, versus one where you've got like pockets of people disconnected. So you kind of have like, you know, imagine just like 10 different human societies in on their own planets or in their own whatever um, for thousands of years. And then they meet each other at the end of that. And it's like, oh, you're way different. Like you organized way differently. You, you have way different values. You have way different maybe technology yeah, or 10,000 years of, uh, yeah, that divergent evolution. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's, I think, um, there's, yeah, but, but still, still human. human. Yeah, yeah, of course. But still, yeah. There was honestly yeah. not to. Uh, we didn't. I don't know. We don't have to get into it. But I don't know if you listened to that more recent econ talk where Russ Roberts had on uh, an astronomer and she, you know, yeah, yeah. She's just yeah. like, what's the yeah. economy of like, um, you know, a million years from now? <laughs> that is all time, all time two ships sailing. Dude, fast that episode. I know. I know. Yeah, it's Dude. just like. Russ bringing her, Russ bringing her to like she's just like a hardcore materialist astronomer, and she's just like, well, you know, I think the reason we make we're, art is we're going to run out of. She's material. like, we're going to run out of material, <laughs> yeah. but the reason we want to preserve the Earth is because humans like uh, low entropy uh, innately, and it's just like, and Russ is like, well, you know, I think human flourishing in a spiritual sense is. She's like, I'm not a spiritual person. I think it's about reducing entropy, and so Russ like brings her all the way to like. <laughs> the heat death of the universe essentially and it's like okay well like yeah, why, why it does it matter, matter? <laughs> yeah. yeah you know what like reduce the entropy all you which want which is great because she goes she says like i don't have an answer to that that's what i'm trying to figure which is great. out and i which i'm like okay great so we we discovered that the answer is not entropy <laughs> to my, in my mind that's like yeah I know, dude. Like, it's like dude, it, the classic. It's like the materialist dilemma, you know. I think like any because I as someone who was in the natural science sciences and just like you know, you get you get yeah. into hardcore like atheist materialist shit of like you know everything is just cause and effect. We're all just you know motion like frictionless spheres yeah. moving through space. It's like yeah, well, it all ends and it all dissipates, and that's like the end of our universe. Uh, nothing <laughs> anyone did means anything at that sense, and. Well, which it's it's hilarious because I I can only imagine you reading like Myth of Sisyphus for the first time. Like, I was like, finally, the only I was like, then. yeah, it's like, yeah, someone just cut into the chase because really that is if that's true, the, the only serious question is why don't you kill no, yourself? I know exactly. And everybody answered no. Everybody, you know, here you are. You obviously answered no. So proceed from that input you know what's the implication but dude that's what's uh, so funny is like you know i feel like we live in an era where there's like so well you know i'm sure how many people say this but there's so much information so many great thinkers who have been come before us and so you just you listen to this like um this woman who's like an incredible and uh, well-decorated like physicist astronomer whatever who's like got all these awards all these you know prestigious affiliations espousing like this pretty simplistic like materialistic view of the universe with like you know, you tell she's she started doing her own internal reflection on like the meaning of life, the meaning of you know anything in a world in a universe that's like heading towards you know going to wipe everything out that anyone ever does. Um, and it's like yo, there's so many people who have thought about this. This shit's like been covered in the, this like the 20th century handled this. Like ex existentialism happened, 
dealt with all of this. And then there's been like subsequent epics or epochs of philosophy since then that I don't know anything about, but then have like been like, yeah, existentialism's boring. And now there's all this other shit. Yeah. But she's like still at this level of like, well, you know, without God, I don't, you know, we kind of have to make up our own meaning. I wonder if there's, hmm, I guess I just don't know. Well, yeah, why do I care? And it's like, dude, I don't know. Read a book, man. There's so much out there. <laughs> Which is like, I hate that. I hate that it's just because it's so demeaning, but it's also like, yeah, try reading a book. Like, <laughs> but to, of course she reads Let books. me Google that. Let me Google that for you. She's always, she's, She's obviously brilliant, but okay. So this okay. This goes to okay. Let's. This is a great transition, I think, because to to our to our essay, because that that one of the things that I uh, one of the things that I think informs my reactionary is I know my my reactionary posture is uh, reading books, like uh, and in particular. Make yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or you know, some some people might call them, <laughs> you know, uh, make them up some high enough quality such that they get classified by some someone for some reason as literature. Uh, and so I think I was reading. So let's. Go, I'm, I'm just going to give Do a quick yeah. overview of this of this essay. Um, because yeah, I think it's a, just to set it up. I think you you mentioned this guy. He's this Colombian writer. What's what's incredible is that he reclusive. Uh, with very little recognition for almost his entire life until maybe the last, I don't know, last few years, he he was so reclusive that he didn't even publish books. He just he published them in like personal volumes Love and it. then gave them out as gifts to his like his like circle of friends, like oh a couple hundred books, and that's what he he'd hand them out, and that's that's it. So any any like international recognition of him is from word of mouth and then eventually kind of that gaining steam and eventually someone translated it from you know Spanish into German and from German into Italian and French and Polish and you know this this right here I think was only translated into English in like the 2000s That's like 2010 or something like this is like so this guy is like not some you know this is not a this is not <laughs> foreheads or something this isn't this is like this a fairly reclusive you know, uh, hard to place man. And, uh, one of the things early on as he talks about is, I just have to say this, this line, which I just, so he sets it up the way he sets his writing style is incredible. I mean, this is because, because I also, this, I just, to personal context, I think the audience will laugh at this, but not that, uh, you know, when I first met you, I feel like this is sort of where I was and versus versus sort of where you were which is like the existence of an authentic reactionary i hope i can claim authentic reactionaryism i don't know if i can but i i aspire to um which is the the existence of our this is this is davida davi davila here okay so this is the opening line of the essay the existence of the authentic reactionary is usually a scandal (laughs) his presence causes his presence causes a vague discomfort. It's incredible. Uh, and then he yeah. goes on. To, he goes on to say something. This is an all-time line right here. In order to soothe his apprehensions, the, pro- the progressives, the progressive is in the habit of interpreting this unseasonable and shocking attitude as a guise for self-interest or a symptom of stupidity. But only the journalist, the politician, and the fool are not secretly flustered. 
before the tenacity with which the loftiest intelligences of the West for the past 150 years amass objections against the modern mm. world. You know, and then he goes like this. This is this is the ref, this is connecting it back to the to the concept of literature informing a sort of like a worldview, which is complacent dis, disdain does not, in fact, seem an adequate rejoinder to an attitude where a go, uh, how do you say yeah. his name? Goth, Goth, and Dostoevsky can unite in brotherhood, right? So here's this guy. He clearly has read his you know read his classics because he is drawing his resignation his reactionary resignation from uh from the great literature of the past to, you know forget the philosophy yeah. it's yeah. the literature that, that opens up this this uh this the pathway to this sort of this reactionary stance so this was um, less an overview and more just jumping into it and i think that's cool because we can kind of take yeah. this i the only way i know how to there's no, I mean, I don't think an overview even makes sense because it's kind of, he kind of proceeds through these like different kind of sections. The only thing, that, the, the only structure is this, this sort of, he, he, he categorizes these, he's basically calling himself, or well, he's defending this stance, you know, yeah. the, you know as the authentic. But let's look. He's cultivated this stance. And what, what's so interesting, he sets up these alternatives uh, and they are the, the radical progressive and the, uh, the liberal progressive. But he also progress. contrasts himself yeah, to the conservative and the progressive, which so that's why I, I don't think that I don't think radical like I think the like the way he ca- couches these radical progressive and liberal progressive is these concepts of concepts of history. right. So back up, right. back up, back up. Let's let all right. Okay. So let's yeah, talk yeah. about this first paragraph because I think that first paragraph you just hit is incredible, but I just want to unpack some of this stuff because like as you <laughs> yeah. we'll get to the, the radical, we'll get to history and the dial the great dialectics, yeah, uh, and all that. But like, which which I this is great because yeah, this is such it's, it's, it's a lot of connections to some of the stuff we've talked about previously. Yeah, on this podcast. yeah. But the uh, yeah. So the, the the first the first two lines you should I like fire yeah. fire opening especially in twenty twenty one the existence of the authentic yeah. reactionary is usually a scandal to the progressive. His presence causes a vague discomfort. I fucking love that, and I think that is exactly what your presence caused me. When I when I you first expressed yeah. a political opinion that was like, uh, actually I don't think like we should reform X. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, well, it might be fine. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, and, uh, yeah. And it was yeah, I exactly. Which I will say, I will say the only the only yeah we'll we'll, we'll go on to this later. Yeah. Well, yeah, just exactly. so, and just because at that time I'm which, like I'm twenty. Six when we met, something like no, something what was that, 29, 28? I don't know, year 25, 26, 27, somewhere in there. So, yeah. like in that young 20s, late 20s era, where it's like the yeah. only people I've ever talked politics with, besides like older family members, have a, a this like fire in them that's like shit is fucked up and we gotta fix it type of energy. So, all political yeah. conversations, totally. you know, are essentially geared around like everything's broken we got to fix it and we got to fix it in these like prescriptive ways and so then chatting with you and it's totally. just like no actually maybe it's fine or maybe <laughs> it's just like what what are you talking about like the well and also it's like in a sense of like why are you why are you so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which, which is like you know again it's it a, is scandal a scandal to be to, to that's that's such a scandal it's a scandal attitude. to suggest that we uh we don't we don't move forward in some direction 
And I think that's the, uh, when he gets to the conservative at the end, you know, I think that's really interesting where he puts it, the reactionary on the axis of time. I was like, the progressive looks forward, the, the conservative looks backwards. The authentic, the authentic reactionary is right fucking here, here and now. And that yeah. I think is like a really powerful thing that we will get to. But I, um, so I guess talking about the, um, the books thing, I think like, yeah, the fact that he's like pulled, like drawing from literature um, and also putting himself among the loftiest intelligences of the West. Um, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah, I know. But I just, I just love that setup. Oh, like, you know, the three. It's like, what category? It's journalists, oh, yeah. politicians, and fools. <laughs> which is just like, it's like everyone else is flustered. Which I'm not the journalist, the politician, yeah. or the fool because they just think I'm. They just think the reactionaries are selfish or stupid. And yeah, and everybody else is like admits that this is sort of like they, there might be something here, and it makes yeah. me uncomfortable. Which is hilarious because, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And he, and he, and he says, uh, which I know. I'm, I don't know. I'm not haven't read Dostoevsky close enough to be able to say no. He's a he is in fact a reactor. Well, I think he 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 does. Think feel about that Brothers way Karamazov. I think I Brothers Karamazov is a perfect example of that because in that book you've got like the progressive radical of like Ivan, um, like the hardcore yeah, materialist. Totally. You've got like the progressive liberal of you know I don't know maybe the the foil of that would be who I guess like. Of, of the, the younger, I feel like the yeah. younger who's, who, the, no the uh, the youngest. I forget his name. Oh, um, you know he's he's sort of like trying to do good in the world. Remember when he tries to save the right. kid, the you know the kid who's like the little kid who's getting beat up by his yeah classmates. totally yeah it's not Dimitri. Like, what's his what's his uh, uh, oh man me too uh, God he's the hero of the story too. It's not like Michael or. Micah, uh, Alyosha, Alyosha, yeah, they nailed it. Yeah, or, it's Alyosha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Alyosha is like the priest, yeah. and then he's got the elder brother who's like the atheist, and they're both like trying to do good in the world. One from like a traditional sort of religious sort of perspective, and then one from like a you know trying to figure out you know why he wants to do good when he doesn't believe in anything. But I think throughout that book, so those are the, just the characters. But if you think about the brothers Karamazov and how that book's structured. You have all these different characters who are like brought into these like, you know, in the classic like 19th century way, brought into the drawing rooms of some like, you know, affluent woman to then like have some, you know, micro debate about like communism or, or not communism, socialism or, you know, like pro- or, or serfdom or technology. Or, yeah. And it's really it does feel like Dostoevsky is like a man of his moment who's just saying, like, I'm just looking at how silly all of you are. You know, at, as the writer, here is like my 20 characters all debating whether we should go left or right or forward or backward. And, you know, I'm just here kind of like, like putting. Yeah. And what's what's so scandalous is that if you is recognizing it all. So it's like not stupidity. Right. Because like, no, no, you're you're in full awareness. You can see it all. You can see the pro, the, the machinations of history and you can see the trends and the movements and and you. And to, to, to stare at that and be fully conscious and aware of it and and as much as anybody and yet not 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 buy into it, not to buy the or not to align yourself with it, to just say no, I'm not. I'm not to, to present yourself as distinct and separated from that is uh, and to, but to comment on it and to critique it 
even though it's even though it marches on is just like this total total re- and i and now now that we're talking through it i'm like yeah okay that checks out totally as this sort of reaction yeah attitude. and i think it's you know that in one on one hand it's a, a sort of stillness in a world that's calling for action and movement and and change yeah. in you know and i and I, and, and that and that's sort of also why i, I I think he sort of sets up the reactionary, the authentic reactionary as it's not, he, you know, it's not this, these two perceptions of history, the liberal progressive and the radical progressive, even though he's using the word progressive, but I feel like it's very much like a lowercase in the sense of like, like right. action, like progressive using, like in the this, in this sense of like, I need to change the, the way the world works or, or I need to make a mark, you know, I need to mobilize and, 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 uh, march with history in some sense you know both of these and i and so i don't i don't think it's necessarily like a left or right i think it's like you find these this sort of attitude this stance on the what do you mean i don't understand i i I thought everything could be distilled down to left versus right what are you talking about i think it's like i think i think left versus left and you you see this on both sides this is like you know it's like it's just yeah yeah. you know this is like this, this 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 like this you know History is on the march. Like you've got to join, and and the the, the act of fa- failing to join is like a, is a yeah. Stand. And I think I think uh, it's right. And that and you find that a, sorry. I think it's like more. it's you know in that sense there's a stillness like that he's like sort of venerating yep. of like I, look I, at I, all these people running in all these different directions, uh, getting all flustered about and and filled with such certainty that their direction is the right one, and I'm just kind of here and now watching the chaos and um so in some sense it's like you know it's a stillness but it's not i think as you mentioned it's not a like a monastic like i'm gonna withdraw from the world although he literally did but in a way but i think i think it is withdrawal from the world in a sense but it's not like i'm going to pretend that that stuff's not happening it's like oh no i'm here i'm just gonna like lob criticism at all of you uh for for being ridiculous, oh, yeah. he, I'm not going to withdraw definitely. from the political got, arena just because I think all of just because I don't want to move doesn't mean that I um, should have to like stay silent necessarily. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Which you know, I think I think I find this you know you know an example for me would be like um, family members who are like intense get worked up about their politics, whether it's left or right, you know, I've got close family on both sides, but like get really worked up and it, it seeps into their bones and it inflects, it has this like weird inflection on the way they react, relate to people and relate to life. And they've just, they're just like carrying this like very like just this huge, now I'm just, and I said, like, how can you possibly just forget about that and, and let that go as if, as if it has no impact on your life. And as if it, as if you have no impact on it, it's outplaying. And, and their, their natural reaction, of course, is to say, well, you can't just retreat. You can't just do nothing because of course that is, that is of uh, a, a total withdrawal is as ethically and, you know, spiritually, I think like sort of, hollow and shallow as as full and utter commitment yeah to, to, you know, like not moving is a type of movement or, but it, i i think he's you know i think we can yeah, as we unpack yeah. this especially as we get to the end where it just like the you know the conclusion of this i think breaks this it, initially yeah that's the temptation when he's setting up the argument initially 
of like these people are going that way, these people are going that way. I'm just kind of sitting here. Yeah, I think it's easy to make that argument of like, well, you know, just sitting there is also a choice and like you're actually not helping things. Yeah. But I think he kind of shatters that towards the end. I just want to say just on the note of like people getting so worked up about this stuff um, and and like in their bones of having that like political like sort of fire. I just, you know, forgive the tangent. But I was like I, I started playing basketball um, once a week up here and, you know, Anya found this league. Of like, not even, no, well, it's not a league. It's every Monday, a bunch of people meet at this church. It's called the Church on the Hill. It's this tiny little church in a tiny town of Lago Vista where I live. Um, you know, that uh, is literally up up one of the hills in hill country, sort of on a, on the side of a little mountain. You know, I mean, small mountain. I would call it a mountain, maybe, a, you know, hill. Um, but, uh, and there's a basketball court there. It's surrounded by trees. And the church is surrounded by trees and you can't like really see it from the road. And so you're up above all of, you know, the town uh, in some way. It's very small. And um, so I go there, I play and it's, it's like a, a league, not a league, it's a group of guys who meet. And it's like two of the pastors who um, like work, work at the church and are in their 60s and play every week. Um, one of them barely moving. Uh, really tough. It's amazing that he's out there. Then a bunch of younger guys. So it's like kind of a, a cool mix of like really old people that you kind of like play around. Um, and then like younger athletic guys who are like going hard and everyone's like filled with like this. The game is actually like really, um, really beautiful. The way it plays. It's like everyone kind of plays to their level. Um, and the competition is actually pretty high. Um, and you kind of just, I find myself just kind of lost in the moment um, up there. You know, it's like beautiful hill country air. Moon is out at night. We got lights on the court. Um, what we're watching the sunset or whatever on this this beautiful mountain. We're playing basketball for a few hours, getting sweat on and stuff. So anyway, this is like a really special part of my week. Each week, it's going to play two hours. You know, get some exercise. This past week, yeah. we're playing in between one of the games. These two guys. These are two two like again reverends in their sixties who are like the kindest people uh, you'll ever talk to. They are sitting there in between basketball games, venting about Joe Biden's agenda. And I, I'm like kind of beside myself because I'm not, you know, not in any political sense, but just like these two like people who have dedicated their lives to some sort of spiritual, you know, quest. And by being like dedicating themselves to the faith, this Christian faith and you know, working at this church are in the middle of central Texas in Hill Country, in this tiny little town, after playing, you know, this awesome game of basketball where we're all in the moment and getting sweaty and under the beautiful weather, a beautiful sky, beautiful environment and everything. They're talking about Joe Biden's, like, failures on infrastructure. Like, as if this man, <laughs> like, as if what is happening in D.C. has anything to do with this moment or your, your life. And it's just, like, honestly, it made, it broke my heart to see, like, these two having that conversation. I never, no one really ever talks politics. We're just playing basketball. You know, it's kind of just like, so to see it like infect these two people was just like, honestly, a shot through the heart. I was just like, we got to get another game going. Come on, let's, let's, let's shoot up. Let's play again. Like, you got to yeah. end this. And they're just sitting by themselves. No anger. I mean, they're just, just venting to each other about something that just like absolutely doesn't impact your life in any way. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's purely the, the historical dialectic that's being written and discussed and talked about in all these newspapers and, you know, Fox News and CNN, whatever. And it's like, 
you're feeling the need to contribute to say we should go this other direction we shouldn't go that direction and it's like dude you don't need to you really don't need to i know it's it's pain it's it's painful and so i you know i have this concept of politics that obviously because here i am i i yeah i i stay pretty up despite my not uh engaging per se i i I know it's going, you know, I know what's going on. I know the contours of the debate. And, I, you know, at some point you don't really need to read the articles because you know basically what people are arguing about and whatever. You kind of have a sense of where the thing is. And even if you don't read the day to day, you have a sense of where politics are and you follow it. I follow it. So I know what's going on, but I have, I, this is one of the great things that I'm, I'm very proud of is the, the degree to which I just have. I silo the entire sort of political project and I keep it outside of like how I, how I move through the world. It's just not, not relevant to a certain degree. Eventually I think I, I, that silo breaks down on the edges. Um, but when we can talk about this at some point, because I think it's relevant, but, uh, that's like a, it's like a pol like my politics, it's like politics are like a certain like style of like cultivating this, like this distance. Um, and I, and it's something that it's, it's not very common, you you know you don't and it and it's weird because it's it's not very common not only among those who don't pay any attention to politics because they'll they'll still engage right like people that don't, don't pay any attention to politics still get oh, yeah. caught up in it knowing nothing and then obviously there's people who know a lot about it and get super caught up in it like the super intellectual you know the most informed intellectual educated elite are like wrapped up in it and all the way down through the spectrum of people that the least educated, least informed, you know, folks just living day-to-day -day life who you'd think, oh, this wouldn't affect their lives. It's like, they still are, are dialed in and have, and, you know, kind of the, 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 uh, the webs of this ecosystem still just wrap them in. And it's just, there's gotta be a way to, uh, engage with these, with these problems and these, and these questions that is less like toxic to the soul. Yeah, well, I think there's. Um, I would love, let's maybe at you know when we get through it, let, let's talk about the why why that is, why people feel so compelled. Do you want to, um, you know, can I talk about the radical so I, I, uh, progressive yeah, versus yeah. the uh, liberal progressive? I think I think you should definitely set that up. Yeah, because I think the reactionaries and yeah, so that's so this so guy is just kind of turning back to the essay uh, Davila. He like he he yeah he contrasts the uh, the reactionary with the radical progressive and the liberal progressive. Um, he's got two different, you know, both progressives think the reactionary is an idiot or selfish or, um, and, you know, obviously it deeply troubles them that these reactionaries exist. So I'm just going to read a couple excerpts. And then, you know, I, I think, uh, so first uh, talking about, um, you know, he, he really, he describes the two, the, 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 the radical and the liberal um, in terms of how they view history and, and sort of freedom. And so he says, history for the radical progressive is not merely the sum of what has occurred, but rather an epiphany of reason. Convinced of the rationality of history, the radical progressive assigns himself the duty of co collaborating in its success. And so the radical progressive here, to me, I mean, he's just talking about like, this is, you know, whatever, the 50s, 60s, he's talking about communism. Like, this is the great historical dialectic of like, you know, we need like history, all human history is moving towards this, 
you know, in this rational way towards this rational end. And it is therefore noble, good and, and true and correct to collaborate in that dialectic and to drive society and the world towards this natural, you know, sort of occurring result. So it's a real rational, the rationality yeah. of history. It's like, this is a natural process and we, you are good insofar as that you are contributing to that natural end. Yeah. He's got, he's got a lot here because in, because in taking action in a, according to the direction of his, of history, individual reason co- coincides with the reason of the world. So like, that's where ethical obligation yeah. is like your individual, re- aligning your individual reason with the, the all-encompassing dialectic reason of democratic history which has its like has its own mechanics that are kind of inhuman exactly and i think that's a beautiful that was a good line because it's like yeah the you know those those individuals they see the the course of history they align their own individual life along that course and now it's like oh i have a purpose look it's easy i just move along in this current that i think is moving in this direction towards this natural cause and i think that's and it's an interesting contrast to the liberal progressive who he says the liberal progressive on the other hand settles down in pure contingency liberty for him is the substance of reason and history is the process in which man realizes his liberty history for the liberal progressive is not a necessary process but rather the ascent of human liberty toward full possession of itself so this is interesting because now you know this this especially with our current present-day vocabulary because when he describes a liberal progressive, what I see is like America, the libertarian, you know, and I think like, especially as a Colombian growing up in the 1960s, look, or, you know, 30s to 90s or whatever, looking at the USSR and the United States from a, you know, developing nation, and that these two ideological beasts that are like waging these cold wars, you know, and like proxy wars. That's, that's a really interesting way to position it. Is like, like- like that, that sort of unaligned nation. Right. And the liberal progressive is just yeah. like, so and just to, to hit that home though. So, you know, like the radical progressive is like history's marching towards, you know, communism, right? The communist utopia, you should march towards it too. And like, let's move towards this communist, you know, utopia state. And that's what I mean. That's like, that's how, like, uh, that's good political action. The liberal progressive is like, actually, there is no historical destination. But what there is, is uh, freedom, you know, and we should be maximizing liberty. We should be maximizing liberty, maximizing freedom. And the, the t- correct type of reform and political action is to create a more and more liberal society that enables more and more freedom and more and more liberty. Um, you know, so history is not, is not a, a necessary process, but rather the ascent of human liberty toward full possession of itself. So we're instead of... Yeah, he's got a great line. A great line. History is an inert material that a sovereign will right. fashion. Yes. So for the radical or for the right. liberal progressive, like history is just like, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't know. What do you want to do this natural forest? Do you want to make a national park? You want to chop it down and build a shopping mall? You want to like... And he does say, you know, if, if, if hatred and greed drag man down among bloody mazes, the struggle is joined between perverted freedoms and just freedom. So he like... This sort of it like recognizes that freedom is this chaotic thing that can go, and then and the and the and history is this often a battle between, uh, you know, perverted freedoms and quote just freedoms, you know, uh, but nonetheless, freedom is the is the pure sort of pure 
engine of history. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think the so then he he talks about how you know both these progressives sort of hate the reactionary. So, yeah, those the, at 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 the end of each one of those two sections, there's like these these sort of uh, he he suggests why it's foolish and stupid, or, or why both of these people think the the reactionary is both foolish or foolish and immoral. Um, I and I, I kind of want to yeah do it read those off. You, yeah. you know what I'm talking about because they're. they're so you've got this sort of dialectical march of reason, history, you know, a human sort of materialistic perception of of uh, of life, uh, and and that's the, that's the radical progressive here. Um, so let's see, how, what does he say there? Let's see. Histories. Okay, so for the radical progressive to condemn history, the reactionaries condemn history. It's not not just a vain undertaking, but also a foolish one. It's vain because history is necessity. <laughs> so it's obviously vain to think that you can. What are you doing condemning history? This is history marches on. You, it's the ultimate vanity to suggest <laughs> yeah. to think that your condemnation means anything. And it's foolish because history is reason. You know, so not only is it vain, but yeah. it's dumb because history marches according to reason and you're against it so therefore you're you you're you know a a you know you're on the opposite of reason therefore foolish this is this this is why you're both vain and foolish to resist to resist history uh to condemn history it's like yeah it's not like okay this is like pretty clever this is great writing uh um so then that's that's the radicals like take on the on the reactionary and then and then the liberal um the liberal also has a has a has a kind of a, 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 a uh, let's see where where is this where is this I'm a, for the liberal progressive then to resign oneself to history is immoral and foolish foolish because history is freedom immoral because liberty is our essence so it's immoral because liberty is is the true kind of flesh of human life you know that's our flesh and so it's it's immoral to suggest uh, to not, yeah, kind of drive towards more. To yeah, take advantage not, of it. Yeah, yeah. To not like grab your liberty and to enact it, right? Because you're sort of resigning <laughs> yourself. That's that's immoral. You know, liberty is our is our essence, and it's foolish because history to to resist to to not seize history and to act on it uh, is is basically an abandonment yeah. of your own freedom. Yeah, and therefore, you know, yeah. what you know. That's the dumbest thing you can do. So, so it's foolish, and you know. So this is the, the, this, these per- perceptions of the reactionary that that are informed by these perceptions of of history, which I think I think is just at, at, a, at a meta level is one of the things I love about this is zooming out to the point of perspective where you realize, oh, your your kind of your deep mechanics, the deep perspective on the mechanics of history. Though most of us don't ever think about it, and even you or I like kind of struggle to grasp it, how we're thinking about history because it's so abstract. Inform as we zoom way in, into the details of day to day life, inform our stances and inform the way we kind of engage with life. Um, and that connection, I think, is just fascinating. I think it's just it's it's such a uh, it's just such a it's such a, a powerful way to understand like how we. How we, how well, we you know, I, I think that's, it's, um, I think it's intentional that we don't 
it's intentional in some sense that we don't think about that or we don't talk about that because I think, you know, you look in the 19th century, you read Dostoevsky, um, you know, you look at the, the birth of socialism and, you know, Hegel and, you know, that like German philosophy, yep. that's all they fucking talked about. That's all they talked about was history and the impact of history on man and how man is in relation to history and what does that mean from an ethical or political or whatever. And, you know, you get to the, the full scale, you know, pseudo realization of some of those principles in the form of like, you know, Russian communism, Chinese communism, whatever, of like we are driving towards, you know, the historical conclusion, which is a utopia, blah, blah, blah. And so you have this on one hand, this, you know, you know, the Cold War, right? And so you have the, the communist states um, that are, are seeing themselves as the vehicles driving, you know, the humanity towards the natural historical conclusion. Um, and the U.S. is in opposition I think to that. It's, the U.S. Yep, is in yep. opposition to that and has always which, been, you know. Which which is great because we've always – and I, I have – I guess I always knew that there was this sort of like materialistic sense of history that like kind of motivated some of the, some of those – perspectives I've, I've always known that um but the way he cultivates oh but we're not we don't we, we don't it's not that we don't have a sense of history yeah it's we different do, yeah and it has its own implications and it's just as any in a sort of american western kind of triumphant liberalism has its own sense right of, of maximizing freedom and liberty is in a sense that is you know probably equally um divorced from the the true nature of you know our position in the universe uh but for whatever reason we've all been trained to kind of to uh just like right turn along and towards. I, yeah so with with that i think it leads it to okay so what's so what's the authentic reaction well before the his, his before the he gets to the reactionary he said he starts undermining because he, he just set up these two camps based on their understanding of history yeah. So first he has to destroy their understanding of history. And so he says things like, yeah. you know, in fact, history results neither from impersonal necessity nor from human caprice, but rather from a dialectic of the will where free choice unfolds into necessary consequences. And goes, goes on to say, if liberty is the creative act of history in each free act produces a new history, the free creative act is cast upon the world in an irrevocable process. Liberty secretes history as a metaphysical spider secretes the geometry of its web. And I think I missed some important context, but essentially he, he's making the claim that like, you know, both of you are incorrect. Like history is really just this chaotic composite of all of these people making free choices. And the irony is all of you freedom loving people, and, and, as soon as you make and, a choice, you fix it in stone. You've etched and you've etched you've etched a kind of like a, a necessary set of things that flow from it but that etch it kind of sets up this thing with like that etch of, of a necessity is only as large as the act of free will was right right and so there's this like mechanic where it's like the bigger the act of free will the bigger the etch and the bigger kind of the more necessity that cascades and forth from it um but it, nonetheless it's this composite this kind of dynamic pro i mean that line i just I just, I just can't believe that line. I'm just, guys, liberty, liberty secretes history as a metaphysical spider secre secretes the geometry incredible. of its web. Web, it's just like an incredible line. Uh, which is why I this that line in particular was what what got me to think of this essay when you were telling me the story about 
Trevor was telling me a story about a spider in his yeah. house the other day. And as he was telling me the story, I was like, oh my God, we got to read this essay. Yeah, that uh, spider that, that spider was fucking <laughs> secreting history all over my porch. <laughs> um, yeah, nonetheless, yeah. So I think that's, I mean, as as he describes this thing up, as he describes this, it, it, it's sort of hard yeah, to Yeah, do you want to unpack what you said about think, the etching again and just like kind of say that a little, yeah. Yeah, because he has, he has some good, I mean, the way he writes is just like this very like literary um, again, going to the make him up, you know, he uses this sort of literary metaphorical language all throughout this thing. I mean, there's, it's just everywhere, especially yeah, in the back, back half. Yeah, is he, great. As he, tries to, as, he, as he tries to explain the reactionary, it just devolves into like, into this like spiritual, like literary language that I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's how you have to position it because that's the only way to express this sort of like poetic stance. Um, uh, so as... So let's just go. History. What does he say here? <laughs> I'm just going to give, give you a sense of some of this stuff. The human cloud of dust. The, the human cloud of dust does not seem to arise as if beneath the breath of a sacred beast. The epochs do not seem to be ordered as stages in the embryonic genesis of a metaphysical animal. Facts are not imbricated upon one another as scales on a heavenly fish. <laughs> that's his that's his evidence as to why the kind of the dialectic material reason you know the materialistic kind of necessity uh doesn't oh dude actually play read out the, those way. next few but sentences his, too are actually like yeah. yeah so so then if history just is not an abstract system that germinates between implacable laws so like if it's not the sort of like a human cascading of like ra- rational rational neither dialect. yeah like <laughs> Yeah, and like, and it's like, it's not, it's indis, it's like you're free, you have no free will. It, it cascades with like this sort of like iron mechanics of cause and effect, and it cascades in into into the future, um, and it, it only has one destination, and it's and it's according to these like laws of rationality in the same way, you know, uh, the physics, you know, the same way like I don't know, I'm not a science person, but like planets orbit a sun, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's like he's saying yeah, it's not. That. Yeah, it's, it's like not, this sort it's of like not some like predetermined rational so, thing. So that's so if it's not that, so then there's a sort of liberal perception of, of history as just like this like playground for human free will. So he goes, um, neither is it a docile fodder for of human madness. The whimsical and arbitrary will of man is not its supreme ruler. Uh, Facts, again, this is the language, which is just, I love it. Facts are not shaped like sticky, pliable paste between industrious fingers. Yeah. (laughs) Incredible. Incredible. He's like, no, you can't just like, you can't just like, it's not some, some like ever rolling wheel of history. Which I think is so great because it is, it's like, you have to recognize that, you know, free will is despite, you know, you know, the act of freedom has only so much power. We are etched into systems, right. you know, like, you know, when you think about like modern day conversations, like, you know, systems, the inherited kind of like injustices of the past still are still etched into our society. We can't just choose to dissolve yeah. them. Uh, we are constrained by the kind of the, di- the dialectic necessity that was that we inherited. And there's no denying that. That doesn't not to, not to deny the, the realm of freedom. But we cannot deny the sort of 
the, the necessity that past freedoms have etched for us. Yeah. And so we both have um, freedom and don't. We are, we're both constrained by those etches of the past. Yeah. We are also free to make our, our own etches. Um, but we must realize that like, it's not just like, <clears throat> it's not a free, it's like not a playground, free playground where we can just make whatever we want. We are sort of guided by the past and every decision we make immediately leads to new causes and a, like fixed cause and effects that ripple out from our choices and create a new current or strengthen the previous current, you know, further. Um, yeah. And yeah. And, and he has this kind of like two, he has like these instants and he has this epochs. Um, and it's this, this idea that as in freedom, you have, you know, in your free, your freedom of choice, that we all have freedom of choice and we each have these instants where, you know, fleeting souls sort of like act and make and have an opportunity to, to kind of leave a mark on history but that the, the, the summation of those choices over time create uh, like massive, you know, ripples add up into right. waves, right? It would, be, it would be kind of a way to think about it. It's like each, you know, these ripples have added up into waves and those waves, and then if you just want to like launch a ripple against that wave, yeah. well, sorry, yeah, it's exactly. just not going to make a difference. That wave, but over time, because of historical contingency and because of an opportunity presents itself to, you know, really create a, a big movement. Epochs do come to an end. Uh, there are epochs do, you know, these, these things right. do end. Uh, and then one of the ways I've thought about that is like sort of like this idea that there are like these gradations of like of necessity, right? And like uh, if I choose to like drink a glass of wine tonight, which I'm doing right now, uh, like I'm going to sleep a certain way and there's like a certain like cascade of necessity from my choice to drink some wine tonight, right? Uh, it's probably pretty small though. It's probably, it's like, it's web, the, the metaphysical web is like pretty right. narrow. Uh, but different actions have different sort of scales of like necessity, necessity that they impose. And as they, as they, as they line up over time, those can be much, much larger and, and kind of inflect for larger. larger as they line up over time and as they line up over individuals, you know, so it's like. I like the, yeah. the I like the wave metaphor because uh, I think it's I think yeah. it's simpler than the ones he uses and it's helpful. But so yeah, like you know, you're you're kind of moved yeah. along this wave, and so any individual can try to like yeah. I mean, honestly, you've been to the anyone who's been to the beach, you ever try to like catch a wave in your arms, you try to stop it from moving? <laughs> like it's literally like that is you. That is the the human against history. You get enough people doing that, and it's long enough, and you can really fuck up a beach. Now I don't know how many people it takes to yeah. It's like building right. a sandcastle at the beach. Like you, no matter how high you build your wall, you're not going to resist yeah. a tide. That being said, you get enough demons and enough rocks and enough machinery. And the, beach yeah. moves, and the ocean yeah. moves around, you know, yeah. or you know, like responds yeah. to that new change. So this is this sense of like, yeah, in some in some cases we are like we are subject to the the whims of like historical necessity and the cascading necessity of of the laws of, of, the, of, I guess I'd say the laws of necessity, the laws of like cause and effect. Um, but we are not like entirely subject to them because freedom has its place as well. Yeah. And so, so then um, I think from this point, so now he's kind of like said, like both of your yeah. senses of history are wrong and superficial and there, and you know, this is where he starts getting more literary, but I think this is, um, yeah, yeah. he gets to this, this sense of like, you know, I think one of the major critiques, he doesn't say it explicitly, is, but I think you, you were kind of talking about it, about reading make-em-ups. Like, what's the value of reading fiction? What's the value of reading literature? You know, I think he, he, talk, he starts moving towards this sense that there's a deeper world 
than what our stupid human minds and ideas and politics and words and you know philosophies and histories can describe. And so try to reduce all of yeah. human history, all actions of all human beings of all times into some simplistic wheel, some simplistic dialectic that's moving towards a communist utopia is an act of is just like absurd. And it's similarly absurd to or, just or to, look or, at like or, yeah, every yes. single act as like every person is born completely free, you know, and creates and, history. And, that, and to, to, to fail to act in a certain way is some sort of like moral failing because you're now responsible for the implications of history, right? right? Like, like you're not, right? You know, not choosing to go to the protest doesn't make you, you know doesn't make you responsible for the cascading necessity right. of history. You know, like that, that is equally absurd. Like uh, choosing not to like enact, act on your liberty is not necessarily uh, as a immoral a stance as, you know, you, those who insist you act on your liberty might, might wish. Uh, he says, he says, the, the reactionary is nevertheless the fool who takes up the vanity of condemning history and the more and the immorality of resigning himself to it. So to both condemn it and yet resign yourself to it at the same time. That's the vanity of condemning history and the immorality of being resigned to its you know your fate almost. Uh, that's it's the equivalent of the the old guy on the you know the park bench complaining to his his old friend saying like you know back in my day kids used to you know we used to talk to to people in person none of this, you know, screen stuff and then pulling out their phone and, you know, answering an email. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. So, so I guess, I, you know, I always think, I, I think about like, you know, this sort of questions about history and free, free will versus kind of necessity and do we have, a, you know, the, the question of ethical obligation. Like, do you have an ethical obligation to, like I live at the beach in Maine, I surf. I, I, I surf all winter. Nobody bothers me. Uh, it's really pleasant. Lots of time to read books. Um, yeah, you're throwing your life away. And... Why aren't you out there making a difference? The <laughs> yeah. world's burning, and yeah. you're out there surfing. Yeah, exactly. How dare you? And I, but I, you know, that's that's. I mean, I, I feel that. I do feel that. Right. And sometimes I do feel that. Uh, it's it seems hedonistic to just, um, uh, to to retreat. And so I, you know, the question of what is your do you have obligations and. Um, so he, he does, he does present us, you know, present a, an ethical obligation, which he says the ethical obligation to take action only arises when the conscience consents to a purpose that momentarily prevails or when circumstances culminate in a conjunction propitious, propitious to our freedom. Now, I'll let you take your, I'd be curious what your read on that. It's just, you know, I mean, he's like, he's essentially like, yeah, you know, you see the, you see the guy, you know, steal a purse on the street and you have the opportunity to stop it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like that's a small etch. Like that, that you're like in this like micro epoch epoch and you have the opportunity, you know, the, the contingency of history has allowed you to make a mark that like is like the, 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 the uh, the two the two are lined up. Yeah, it's a scale. scale. The scale so of it is like you know. Yeah, the scales match, and so now you have an obligation because of it's and it's circumstantial, it's contingent, uh, but in these sorts of domains, you know, I guess when the scale gets small enough and the axe gets small enough, there's alignment. Um, 
And I guess presumably at some point the acts, you know, the opportunities present themselves to certain people by virtue of, you know, contingency uh, to make big acts, right? Like, he'll, you know, just because you and I can't change the world per se. Speak for yourself. Doesn't mean people haven't, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean people haven't, right? Because we know people yeah, have changed totally. the world, Individuals, right? Individuals uh, in moments where in, their particular decision to do or not do something had world-shifting consequences, had epoch-shifting yeah. consequences. But that doesn't mean that we all should aspire to that right. sort of world shifting because not all of us are are, are gonna are gonna. Have and they, they, most of those people didn't have the choice um, in that, right? They didn't. Maybe again, it's like you look at his model of, of history, right? And that think about all the the, the chance he, he does talk about chance a bit in in this too. Is just like you know luck plays a lot of big role here. So think about the a all the history before um, I don't know Napoleon decided to do like invade Russia or something. Right. And then think about like what Napoleon had for breakfast that day when he made that choice and, you know, uh, all, and then he, he made a decision to, to do it and, you know, whatever. And, uh, it's like that is like Napoleon's a person who had outsized historical influence and who had, had the ability, whether he won or lost a battle or, or you know, conquered or didn't conquer some some place. Um, changed the way history moved in a far bigger way than whether Cy decides to have a, a glass of wine or not, or even whether you decide to, you know, the choices you make at your job. You know, your job is not God Emperor of France. Your job is, you know, uh, scouting out like the, the future of energy in, in the Northeast, right? And so it's like, it's a kind of a different scale, different scope and different historical context. And you're a different person in a different time. And so, yeah, there are times when any individual has a moment because of pure chance and all of the history before you to make an outsized impact, um, there are many more times when you don't. So in the purse example of like, yeah, you see the guy running down the street with a purse that you have the opportunity to stop, to step in and correct and like, you know, do some ethical deed, you should. You're not then expected to then solve the, um, you know, historical realities of like poverty leading to criminality you know, like you're not then yeah. obligated to say like, well, the only reason he stole that purse is because of all the circumstances that led to his upbringing and all the impoverishment in this. Per- so I have to go fix Therefore, that class, and then no you know, one's purses yeah. will ever be stolen yeah. again. It's like, no, dude, that's like a little beyond you, a little naive to think that that's your project. That's, that's the, the vanity. actual vanity. That's, that's the yeah. vanity. Yeah. So I think he presents. So to back it, it recall like his his he's like this reactionary against like modernity at the beginning he kind of like the last 150 years of modernity in the west he's kind of positioned himself as like a reactionary to modernity and he has this sort of sense that like modernity is this epic epoch that is like marching at like a massive scale well you know and it kind of sucks you know there's a 150 years of the greatest minds of the west have like lobbed obligation you know uh, uh, the lobbed critiques and rants against it and yet it marches on right uh so it has this the scale and weight of this of that this this compiled necessity is it's vain to think that uh you know it's immoral it's vain to think that morality demands you like resist this in some sort of active resistant way but nonetheless your intelligence your virtue demands that you speak the truth of it uh so he goes in the shadow lands of history man ought to resign himself 
to patiently undermining human yeah, Dude, if that was like uh, a line for side, that just, was it, yeah. I just, like, like, oh my God. We should all, I think that's like, honestly, anyone who listens to this episode, <laughs> just take that on yourself to patiently undermine human presumption in any form, in your next, like <laughs> tomorrow, this week, like identify some human presumption and try to persistently and patiently undermine it. Um, in a, in a person or a system or a structure, that's 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 the, the role of the reactionaries to be like, are you are you sure? Are you sure you're you, you got all yeah. that figured out? You sure you're heading in the right direction? You sure you're? It's like no, totally. And I said this is why to bring it back to where we started about like the idea of like books, read a book. Uh, um, I recall my own like kind of like intellectual place, you know, where I was on politics coming out of college and. I sort of like had this like really, really you know I'd gotten really into economics uh, super on like I studied it obviously got my degree in it but I also like TA'd it so I got really like I learned it really well and a lot of the laws sort of economics and sort of like the kind of classical economics but also sort of I was sort of like this generic like conservative neoliberal like just really confident about the, the laws of economics which I still am but I uh, read a book <laughs> Uh, started reading books, you know, literature. I read, I read Brothers Karamazov, and I didn't realize what had happened to me. Um, but I started trying to like write about housing policy and explain why like it's important to like try to get myself worked up and like write a rant about like why we should like increase the supply of housing, blah blah blah. And I found myself uh, unable to explain, or I I just was going down the rabbit hole, and I was like stuck with like well what's the point of life anyway so what's the value like why should we even care if people have housing like i don't know why <laughs> I, I can't answer that you know it's really hard to talk about housing policy if you, if you can't even make an argument as to why like people should have housing in the first place so i'm like people don't have housing all over the world people don't have housing for all of history people probably won't have housing in the future wait yeah. what <laughs> and i didn't know i didn't connect it at the time but i was like oh this all came from me just sort of like uh, good, good, good writing, good literature can has has this effect of sort of um, expanding your internal world, right? All of, you know, instead of having a, a small internal world and a massive external world where you have this like uh, vast canvas to act upon, it inverts that, and it starts to become why well, you have this massive internal world, and you realize that oh, uh, this the scale of figuring that I have to do in my own head dwarfs dwarfs my ability to act in right. the outside world. So that's really well said. Um, and, it, and it just, and it just, and it just, in, in, it's over time, you know, I think has just instant created a humility to my like, and a humility and, 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 you know, my, I don't know if that directly relates to my sort of reactionary uh, impulses, which I, at the end of the day, I've just resigned myself to admitting I'm sort of a reactionary. <laughs> um, Despite its negative connotations, um, not a conservative, you know, they're not I, by, by no means conservative. Uh, well, but I think, nonetheless, reactionary. I think, like, let's let's skip ahead to the end because I think there's a beautiful part to being. Yeah. That I think he he touches he he moves into just the pure poetic and it gets into this idea of because you're you're talking about the I, I like what you said about the inner world um, growing through yeah. like literature. And reflection, I think, and there's, I think there's this, this, um, and how, yeah, there's like 
I would describe that almost as a, a it's it's humbling to read great literature or even you know shitty novels. Honestly, to read anything, any type of fiction, I think you know kind of. I think it's yeah, it's totally. really humbling. On the margin, yeah, because yeah, it, it it shows yeah. you new people, new places, new ideas. We were talking about Dune, right? You know, thinking about civilization on a million year time scale, right? If you start thinking like that, it's like. Well, um, yeah, maybe we should put a massive carbon tax and restrict everyone to just like eating bugs for the next 50 years uh, until we get climate change under control. Um, and we're all going to be completely immiserated because we want to solve for all those millions of generations after us who will have a great life because of the sacrifices. Maybe you want to solve that way. You know, you read another book and it's like, well, no, maybe I want to just like live in the moment. Maybe I want to like, maybe I want to care about my family. Maybe I want to, you know, whatever. Every, every time you read some new idea or some new, and I think novels in particular are good at it because they're not carefully constructed, rational arguments. I think he does a pretty effective job. And I think he uses literary language intentionally because rationality kind of falls short when you realize how complex, how, um, you know, sort of um, unknowable the world is, the direction of history, your place in the world, where, what are the consequences of our actions? And, you know, it, you should be humble, you know? And I think like, um, I think literature is, has a way of creating that in you by just kind of showing you the depth of the human condition in a bunch of different times, places, settings. Um, it just makes you not so sure about your, the way you should be walking, the, the direction you should be heading. And um, I just want to kind of jump into the end because I think like he, uh, I'm just honestly going to read the last paragraph because I think it's like, yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it, it's it. beautiful. Uh, and I, you know, it gets into this concept of like etern eternal truths, eternal, like, you know, sort of immortal truths that exist outside of, uh, you know, history that exists outside of even um, of, of, reason, of reason, yeah, of liberty, and liberty, yeah, of all that shit, and and even humanity. It's like outside of our knowledge. Um, it t touches on the deeper, you know, sense of the universe and our place in it. Um, and that's what, yeah, and that's, that's what the, lines. that's what the um, reactionary is moving towards. It's not an and insisting on, and insisting on, right? and. Which is just so, again, so scandalous because someone's yeah, like... Yeah, I'm not moving left. I'm not moving right. I'm not yeah. moving back. I'm not moving forward. I'm actually moving on another plane of existence. I'm moving towards the eternal <laughs> yeah. while you guys are arguing about the right way to organize the fucking Supreme Court. Like, I'm heading, to, I'm heading in the direction <laughs> of, like, gods and poetry. Um, and, you know, so I think it's, it's beautiful. But so he says, if the progressive casts himself into the future and the conservative into the past the reactionary does not measure his anxieties with the history of yesterday or with the history of tomorrow the reactionary does not extol what the next dawn must bring nor is he terrified by the last shadows of the night his dwelling rises up in the luminous space where the essential accosts him with its immortal presence fuck yes the reactionary escapes the slavery of history because he pursues in the human wilderness the trace of divine footsteps. Man and his deeds are, for the reactionary, a servile and mortal flesh that breathes guts from beyond the mountains. 
to be reactionary is to champion causes that do not turn up on the notice board of history. Causes where losing does not matter. To be reactionary is to know that we only discover what we think we invent. Fire. It is to admit that our imagination does not create, but only lays bare smooth bodies. To be reactionary is not to espouse settled cases, nor to plead for determined conclusions, but rather to submit our will to the necessity that does not constrain, to surrender our freedom to the exigency that does not compel. It is to find sleeping certainties that guide us to the edge of ancient pools. The reactionary is not a nostalgic dreamer of a canceled past, but rather a hunter of sacred shades upon the eternal hills. It's just, Come on. It's just, I mean, yeah, I know. I was just like, every time, every line you, you said, I just was like, wait, wait, stop. These, this line is, but they, if they just keep coming. I mean, to man and his, and his deeds are for the reactionary, servile and mortal flesh that breathes gusts from beyond the mountains. It's just like, what? Um, and then, and then to champion causes where losing does not yeah. matter. And you know, I, do, and do not turn up on the notice board of history, which I think I, I this is a separate podcast, but I, I love to kind of like take that sentence and just go, go deep on that. Um, and then, yeah, the sacred shades upon the eternal, it's just guide us to the edge of, <laughs> to, uh, it is to find sleeping certainties that guide us to the edge of ancient pools. I love that he gets a, he gets cancel culture, gives a big shout out to cancel. The reactionary is not a st- nostalgic dreamer of a canceled past. Take that, Ted Cruz. Yeah. Um, but yeah. 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 Ted <laughs> University of Boston. Yeah. He's yeah. not looking for canceled, <laughs> yeah. canceled past. He's also not looking for, you know, bright shining uh, future space cities. He's just looking, just wandering patiently yeah. through old, you know, this, I, well, I mean, the whole, like, yeah, we only discover, we, what is it? The discovery, uh, oh, fuck, what was that line? Um, to be reactionary is to know that we only discover what we think we invent. That is hilarious. Cause it's like human beings, it's like the universe just is right. And always has been right. Since it's beginning, since the beginning of time, it's just like, um, and then humans come on the scene and then we start like poking around and we're like, Ah, look, we've, we've uh, discovered that uh, the planet moves around the sun. And it's like, dude, the planet's always moved around the sun. It's always been there. And now we're just like, oh, no, but now. And the planet does move, yeah, the planet doesn't move around the sun. The pla- we think the planet moves around the sun. The planet is like, as a body in space, that's like, it's moving in a, you know, it does, it, the planet and the sun are moving. In, in yeah, and space is expanding like, and like black sun. holes are collapsing yeah, yeah, and like, like all sorts of crazy yeah. shit is happening all at the same time, every instant of existence. Yeah. So we invent, yeah, we invent, yeah, we invent sort of like a local system. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right yeah. Oh, look at this. <laughs> it's like, see, if you just, if you treat the sun as a heavy ball. You just like zoom out. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you zoom out, it's just like, no. And um, uh, so there's this there's this concept. I don't know if we talked about it before. Anya read this book about ceremonial time, which you would probably dig. It's a it's essentially this guy who wrote a history of a piece of land in Massachusetts from like, um, and it's not like that corny like Mishner style, but I think it, he talks about the um, essentially the land going from like you know the natives moving through it to like you know Western um, you know colonists like settling it trying to farm it 
the land, you know, losing its soil and um, the nutrients in the soil because it was over farmed and then it changes hands a few times and the people who like live and die and the families that grew up there, the houses that are built and torn down and how this land and this space, this one tiny little plot of like, you know, one mile by five miles just exists. It just exists in this space. And people just cut wave after wave of history and humans and animals and trees and plants and whatever, like move through this land, claim a piece of it. You know, they, they etch their cause and effects. You know, the, the guy chuck, cuts down the tree. So now that now there's no more trees there. The land dries out, gets really all the grass dies around it, whatever. It's like, you know, the ripples of cause and effect on this place. And, you know, if you are... Um, if you're quiet when you're walking around out there in a natural place, and you know, Anya and I felt this when I think we went to one of these historical sites in Texas where there were like evidence of like, you know, 16,000 humans 16,000 years ago, you know, you sit on some of these like rocks and you're like, damn, like there was literally like groups of people just like us sitting here 20,000 years ago, looking at a, a fire, looking at the same like river, but not the same, like all these trees that I'm looking at are like, just as many descendants away from the trees that they saw as I am from them. And, you know, but you feel this yeah. like richness, yeah. you feel yourself in the flow of history. And so that is like, you know, this guy calls it ceremonial time. I haven't read the book, so I'm just kind of badly treating it. But that's this, this concept of like, there's this eternal, all states, all like places, all beings and continuous complex sense of history that's what I think he thinks of when he talks about history, not this stupid, like political history or like, you know, liberal liberalism sense or like, you know, none of this, like, it's just like that deep feeling of like walking through the woods and hearing an owl. Like that's the type of movement that we should be making in our lives is like, that's the type of direction we should be walking, not, you know, yeah, towards like um, gerrymandering reform or something like getting worked up about that. <laughs> No, I, I, I think that, I think that's, a, I mean, I, number one, it sounds, I, I love that. I love that, uh, that story, that storytelling or that, that, that ex exposition of history because it's, it's, it's history in a very normal sense, right? This happened and then this happened and this happened. Uh, but it, it, it cultivates a sense of history that's very distinct, which is the, the end result of that kind of causal storytelling is like a sense of history that is, is less about the cause and effect and more about the, the whole the, yeah the eternal the eternal right. now or something of like that so i i it sounds uh it sounds interesting but i i think you know this just you know not this is a great essay i don't think we've right. solved it you know i think there's still this tension of uh here we are we've we've stumbled upon this sense of history that is so much more rewarding and and naturalistic and and uh healthy for the soul, uh, blah, 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 blah. Here we are. We've got it. Well, shouldn't we, should we tell somebody about this? We should write a book about this. You know, we should start yeah. a university, you know, we should make a podcast about it. You know, <laughs> uh, here we are, you know, nonetheless. Uh, so I, I'm not, you know, I'm not convinced we've, we've solved our contradictions, but I, I, uh, I, I really, I really like this essay for the way it, it forces us to, I think, oh, I guess I should say it, 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 it illuminates these, these senses of history and, and sort of the, some of the naivetes of, 
of of it and and then the, and then the language is like to your point i think the language is is it both a stylistic choice but also it, it's it's a, it's a it has to be used because there's no other way to kind of articulate this this uh this positioning uh and and it's only in this in these poetics where you where you can you can find find the grounding you need to kind of take up these sorts of positions in contrast to these these sort of like other perspectives so i in that sense it's just you know it's it's a it's a wonderful it's wonderful as as an example i think um it just i mean we've already brought them up and just like i think it's it's more of a compulsion than than anything else of like camu 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 and I think I, I've talked about that. I've definitely sent you this quote before, but it, this this stuff, this last paragraph in particular, reminds me of my favorite um, Camus quote from *Myth of Sisyphus*, um, where I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read it just because it's it's like um, yeah yeah I think it's really similar, but it's it's Camus' rejection of like you know this sort of like simple one you know one quick fix to understand your place in the universe. Um, And here are trees, and I know their gnarled surface, water, and I feel its taste. The sense of grass and stars at night, certain evenings when the heart relaxes. How shall I negate this world whose power and strength I feel? Yet all the knowledge on earth will give me nothing to assure me that this world is mine. You describe it to me, and you teach me to classify it. You enumerate its laws, and in my thirst for knowledge, I admit that they are true. You take apart its mechanism, and my hope increases. At the final stage, you teach me that this wondrous and multicolored universe can be reduced to the atom, and that the atom can itself be reduced to the electron. All this is good, and I wait for you to continue, but you tell me of an invisible planetary system in which electrons gravitate around a nucleus. You explain this world to me with an image. I realize then that you have been reduced to poetry. I shall never know. Um, and it's, it's just, he, he goes on. I mean, you know, it's, it's, that's like, you know, mythicistic shit, but like yeah. the, uh, you know, just that tension between like you know, reduced, reduced. Yeah. I mean, also, and, and yeah, it's like you cannot like no and, amount of and, scientific and, description, like essentially, you know, the more you try to like put the world and your place, you know, put this in, in this, like this box and with defined edges and defined limits of like, you know, I'm a person who does this for these political reasons because I believe in this and these are the, like my political laws, the natural laws, you know, whatever. Um, you realize that like, Oh, there's actually no foundation to that. And that the more rigid your structures, the, um, you know, a, it's very helpful sometimes to have that, you know, to simplify things that way, because you can, it offers, you know, predictions, um, you know, like you were talking about with economics, there are simple like cause and effect things that you can see with these simple models. So there's a predictive aspect, but they lack any real fidelity or truth. You know, it's a, it's a complete like fabrication. It's a, yeah. Well, they're model. Yeah. And they're models where it's like, like when we know one thing about models is that they're, yeah, they're wrong. Right. So every model we've ever cooked up ever to explain anything. But about then on the other hand, you go to poetry, uh, right. And poetry yeah. or literature, it's like, well, that's yeah. deep truth in some sense. And it's like, okay, but what do I do now? Or like, what does it mean? It's like, oh, well, it doesn't tell you that. Like, that's not, that's not what poetry is yeah, for. Like, yeah. It's like, here's truth that doesn't describe. Yeah. Or there's a description that's not true. So those are your choices in life, you know, and you kind of just need both. Yeah, yeah totally. I think that's it. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. So, 
Yeah. Keep questioning um, after those eternal pools or what does he say? Uh, ancient pools and eternal hills. You know? Yeah. Well, there's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. A hunter of sacred shades upon the eternal hills. Yeah. I'd like to think that. That'd be good. Um, okay. Well, I think this was great. I think our goal should be another one in a few weeks. How dare you uh, commit to something on on tease the on tease, mic? Tease I'm doing it. I'm doing it for that exact purpose. People will, the audience yeah, will shred me if I don't. Clamoring so. for another episode. So. <laughs> I've got I've got a couple ideas that I think are nice um, uh, cascades from from this. So we'll see we'll see what we can cook up for cool. content. Yeah. yeah, dude, it's all about the content. Um, yeah, good chat. Yeah, good chat. As always. Okay, we'll, we'll sign off. We'll see you. All right. In, uh, yeah, in a few weeks, hopefully. Rip the tongue from my